Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, the podcast of AmericanPartisan.org. And coming at you live from the Tactical Operations Center, located deep in the heart of rural northern North Carolina. And standing behind a radio set looking conspicuously like an ICOM 7200 is very good to be with you on this wonderful Monday coming off of an Easter weekend. I hope everybody out there had a wonderful, joyous Easter and a great time with their families celebrating, of course, the death and resurrection of our Lord. You know, um, over the weekend, I had originally planned on doing an episode with Patriot Man where we were going to talk about Lent and um, the the uh, going into Holy Week and the Holy Trinity and what it means to us. And I was really excited about doing that episode. He was really excited about doing that episode. And it was one of those deals where um, when something is just not meant to be, when, you know, the, the Lord is putting obstacles in your path. And, of course, he's going to do that. He's going to do that for whatever reason. Lord's going to put obstacles in your path. And that is what was happening. We were having all sorts of inexplicable um, electronics issues, tech issues, stuff that we never have. We never have. Um, you know, a couple of guys who are pretty well versed in the tech end and troubleshooting, uh, various issues. And I know I don't always have the most stable internet connection in the world that comes from just living out in the cut, but he does. And we just, it just, everything was working against us. So unfortunately that episode didn't happen, um, I know I was very disappointed by that. He was very disappointed by that. But it is what it is. You know, can't always necessarily control the weather and the direction of things. And it, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. But, of course, we've talked about it uh, in the past and, um, you know, great times, uh, great times, great faith and, and men of action. And, of course, that is something that we as Christians, as Americans, as patriots, right now we really need to be praying. We need to be praying because there are forces at work in the world that are evil. And we see this every single day manifesting. Now, of course, uh, some of the other things of note... Over the weekend, of course, this recording, uh, April 18th, 2022 yesterday uh april 17th was the 61st anniversary of the bay of pigs uh landing and failed assault to try and reclaim cuba from the hands of the communist 26th of july movement which had taken hold in Cuba and by 1961 had really cemented its grasp, unfortunately. Uh, yesterday evening, I posted up a link to a really well done article, uh, the second part of the article that details the exact moments when the Kennedy administration, JFK, had pulled the plug on the entire operation, pulled the rug out from under it, and unfortunately left the brave men of Assault Brigade 2506, uh, leaving them flapping in the wind. It was a sad day. It was a sad day for freedom. It was a sad day for the Cuban people. And it was a sad day for America. And it was the first major loss that we would have in American foreign policy of what would become later in the century a series of repeated failures over and over. 
And, of course, those failures we continue to see now, those foreign policy failures. Uh, and that article really went in depth into how the Ivy League and the establishment of the Ivy League, uh, which ironically was so well regarded in the founding of this nation and so instrumental in creating the, the, uh, the founding ideals of which this nation was built upon, it it's very ironic that they were the very ones who pulled the wool uh, or the rug, rather, out from under the guys who were there to retake Cuba for Cuban independence, for true freedom of the people. You know, and you have to remember that uh, the, the brave man of, of 2506 and the, the failed assault on the Bay of Pigs was there to give true freedom to the Cuban people. They, a lot of them had fought against Fugilencio Batista, who was a fascist dictator, uh, not a friend of freedom by any regard, and, and really just, you know, a, a pretty nasty individual himself. And now they had replaced one dictator with another one. And to the Cuban people, they saw that, and they were suffering just within a couple of years putting down the Escambre Rebellion, which was an early uh, fomentation of freedom's forces trying to gain some sort of control against the Castros, against Che Guevara, and uh, which led to the disappearance of Camilo Cienfuegos and the purge, so to speak, of former revolutionaries, former revolutionaries, including Frank Sturgis, who for a very short amount of time was the chief of the Cuban Air Force and returned to the United States and uh, ended up becoming one of the Watergate burglars. And his book, Warrior, is very, very interesting. Very interesting read uh, about you know, contemporary Cuban history and, and that really fascinating period. It's my personal belief that Cuba is going to play a very instrumental role in the next 12 months, uh, the next 12 months to the next two years there. We're going to see a lot of things coming out of Cuba. That's going to be very, very important. Uh, Venezuela as well. And of course, uh, we had two failed attempts at color revolution in both of those countries. Uh, Venezuela has been backed lock and stock by the Russians and the Chinese just as Cuba has. And so it's really important to understand regional history and the history of a place to understand and give perspective on what is likely to occur in the future. And China and Russia have been utilizing Cuba and the Cuban people as a beachhead, as a foothold for spreading their brand of totalitarianism and influence into the United States for a long time now. And that is going to become a much bigger deal when they make a final move to destabilize the United States. Now, I have my own theories on that. Um, and they're by no means absolute. I certainly don't have a crystal ball. I'm simply paying attention to the writing on the wall and what I see coming down the pipe. If I were a strategist for the other side, this is exactly the playbook that I would use. And that being said, it's also important to note that this is all part of the Chinese New Century plan, which they've been talking about. Belt and Road is a big part of that. And of course, while everybody is watching Ukraine, and there's a lot of reasons to watch Ukraine, of course, there's, there's Plenty of stuff going on there. I think that our efforts in Ukraine are extremely misguided. I think that we should have taken a more pragmatic approach to Ukraine and a more pragmatic approach with the Russians in general. However, we failed to do so, and American policy has failed in totes. Uh, it's been very short-sighted. It has been very war hawkish. They wanted too much too soon. And this is what we get. And I think in the long run, this is going to turn out to be a very, very bad move for the United States and the West, especially as Russia is now really stoking the flames of an all-in fight 
with the sinking of their Black Sea flagship, the cruiser the Moscova. Now, one other thing that I think is very important and has went almost completely unnoticed by the mainstream media is the presidential race in Colombia. Uh, Colombia, of course... South American country, very famous for drug cartels, Medellin cartel, uh, the cocaine wars of the 1980s, the FARC, um, the oldest civil war in contemporary world history has been going on there. And the FARC, of course, communist group. Uh, there's other communist groups at work there as well, ELN and, of course, M19. Uh, M19 or April 19th movement is or was a guerrilla organization that was uh, aligned with the Venezuelans. Um, their leader, of course, is good personal friends. And I have a picture up of him in front of a statue of Simone Bolivar uh, standing there with Hugo Chavez, uh, of course, famous uh, communist socialist leader of Venezuela uh, that came to power in 2004, the military coup. Uh, but Glo Global Risk Insights ran a really good piece on this, and I posted an excerpt of it up to American Partisan, and I think that you really need to pay attention to this because this is giving a broader um, perspective on the global framework that is at play here. All eyes, again, I say again, all eyes are on Europe right now but we're not paying attention to anywhere else it was just like how for 20 years american foreign policy attention has been on the middle east and on afghanistan and we failed pretty much everywhere else paying attention to developments in the south china sea and strategic deterrence we've fallen off our game and our adversaries are waking up now um the leader of M19, Gustavo Petro, a longtime communist, uh, guerrilla, and leader, social reformer, activist, you name it. Uh, this guy is leading the presidential primary. So this guy is the leading candidate to be the president in Colombia. What's his platform that he's running on? Well... He wants to make peace with Venezuela. He wants to cut back oil production. And wait for it. He wants to eliminate cooperation with the United States. That's right. It's all there in this article. Folks, if you're not paying attention to this, and a lot of people are not, of course, that's why I am. I pay attention to the stuff that the crowd isn't paying attention to because that way you get the broader panoramic picture. This is going to be very, very bad for United States foreign policy long term. If this guy wins in Colombia and the very fact that he is leading their presidential race it is important to understand that the Colombians themselves, the people that are there, have communism, Russian and Chinese influence that is stronger there than American influence. They're tired of American influence. They see American leadership as weak. They see the fraudulent Biden administration as weak. They see us no longer as world leaders, not as protectors. And that they need to align themselves somewhere else. There's always another leader waiting in the wings. When Russia built that factory for the AK-103, I stated back in 2018 that they were building those 50,000 a year AK-103s plus the ammunition for someone or something. What purpose would that be if they're building more weapons in a year than they have people in their army who are they building them for now we know you have to also understand that belt and road has a huge amount of influence in every country now in south america to include colombia colombia is a battleground with current right-wing government there 
a current right-wing government there, on the brink of war with Venezuela. Venezuela, of course, being a proxy of both the Russians and the Chinese. Now, you may say, well, what about Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil? Well, he's not going to be around forever. And here recently, he's made friendly statements about the Chinese as well. I'm not really sure what more you need to paint a more frightening picture. And as I open the show by stating, Cuba is a beachhead to bring about what I think will be peacekeepers, quote-unquote, brought in to the United States when the United States is destabilized by a larger plan, all part of the Chinese and the Russians, and each one of these governments that are aligned with them in Central and South America. Daniel Ortega, president of Nicaragua. We've got Honduras now that has fallen to a socialist leader. We've got El Salvador, which has a young, charismatic socialist leader that specifically and explicitly states he wants to end the influence of the U.S. dollar. What more evidence do you need, folks? And if you look at the immigrant caravans that are coming in by the day that are bum-rushing our southern border, I don't really need to tell you in any better terms you need to prepare yourselves. This is a very big deal. And if Colombia falls, all of South America will now be under that Chinese communist socialist hegemony. To me, this is the most alarming thing. Far more than any statements that China has made. Far more than the sinking of the Moscova. Far more than any other developments that are coming out of Ukraine. Of course, Zelensky is now saying that the Ukrainian people need to prepare for a possible nuclear exchange. And that they are going to begin distributing uh, potassium iodide. I think that you need to get yours too. I put up a link on American Partisan to where you can source those. I would specifically be getting those. And while you're at it, I would be sourcing emergency storable food anywhere you can get it. Of course, Nutrient Survival is a American Partisan affiliate and one that I've been running a lot here recently because they put out a pretty good product. I tried it. I like what they have. It's pretty carb heavy. It gives you what you need. It is sustainment food, of course. The other one that I suggest that always has products in stock, if it is up on their website, they have it in stock, is ReadyWise. ReadyWise.com. And of course, I'll have links to all of those down below in the show notes. If you decide to purchase, please click on those links that will go to support AmericanPartisan.org and Radio Contra. And at this time, I also want to give a shout out to our show sponsors Civil Defense Manual, two volume set, CivilDefenseManual.com. I wrote the communications chapter in it. Definitely pick those up. It's going to give you a one-stop shop guide on how to create a neighborhood protection team from the ground up. Do not wait. Pick one up today. Of course, Blacksmith Publishing, the Warriors bookstore founded by two special forces veterans who now serve as training cadre for the special forces qualification course and uh, taught at the U.S. Army special forces qualification courses small unit tactics course of which they wrote the handbook and of course that is available also on their web store I frequently put up links to that but they got a lot of other great books as well and then finally tactical wisdom my friend and frequent guest of the program Joe Dolio his three volume set Tactical Preparedness with a Biblical Foundation. I find his books to be incredibly well-written and extremely relevant in turbulent times. Finally, 
You can support this podcast through our Podbean patron program. If you're listening to this through the Podbean app, you'll see a small red icon that says reward. You can sign up there for a monthly membership for as low as $1. Of course, for at the $5 level, you'll be upgrading and receiving the Lessons from the Farm series. I've got an episode that just went out earlier today, and I really, really appreciate all of your support and commitment to that. But anyhow, with that said, um, I want to revisit the situation in Ukraine because I've had some questions. It's been a little while since I've done questions at Radio Contra, and uh, I've had a couple of good ones come across the desk. Um, of course, both of these are, are Ukraine-based, and I think that they're really important. There's a lot of uh, lessons that are having to be relearned out of Ukraine uh, by pseudo-guerrilla forces. I don't really like calling them that um, because what you have what you have in Ukraine, there's a lot of people out there that I've seen on various corners of the internet and whatnot that think that it's somehow a, a perfect analogy to whatever uh, we're going to see in the United States in, in the coming future with a further destabilization and whatnot. I contend that that's not the case at all. Uh, that's, that's not the case at all. That, that's, that's not what we're going to see because the partisans quote unquote, and, and I've got very strong difficulty in calling them that in Ukraine are not really partisans. They're soldiers that are fighting on part of a nation state. Okay. Ukraine is a nation state and it is backing an army on the ground that is largely comprised of decentralized infantry groups uh, that have anti-tank capability and you know a handful of other enablers on the ground. Um, much of their armor has been completely wiped out uh, by the Russians, and they've done a pretty good job of, of taking on the Russian armor themselves, utilizing uh, American javelins and, and, of course, other weapon systems that they have uh, native to Ukraine that are Eastern Bloc in origin. So, you know, they've done a pretty good job, but there's a lot of lessons that are being learned for conventional forces that are having to fight a... Uh, a fourth generation peer on peer conflict. And what do I mean by that? Because that's, that is what is occurring. It, it is a peer on peer conflict. Um, this is something that a lot of people out there, even the military pundits are getting completely wrong. Um, it, you know, it, it is a peer on peer conflict that is being fought. So a lot of the, the uh, criticisms that have been hurled to the Russian military, I think are, um, not really earned because they're fighting an, an adversary that has equal capability to them. It's it's they, it bears absolutely no uh, analogy to the U.S. invasion of Iraq or Afghanistan or any of the NATO uh, incursions that we had across North Africa and the Middle East in the uh, 2010, 2012 uh, to 2015 time range. Um, it's, it's not the same fight, not by a long shot. Uh, so, you know, while the, the Russians have had major shortcomings, and, and we're going to talk about a few of them here in just a second, uh, it's very dangerous territory to wade into when we begin to say uh, that they are incompetent, that they are incapable, and that they're being defeated by uh, ragtag forces. That is not the case. Uh, that is not the case by any means. So, uh, you know, if, if you're a, a part of the military audience that I have out there, do not go into this thinking, you know, well, we got this in the bag, we're good to go, because I contend, and, and I'm in a pretty good position to do so, I contend that they are uh, performing quite well given the circumstances, and you cannot underestimate the power of your adversary. Uh, so, anyhow, with that said, uh, so I've got a question. 
from Tactical Zen, and uh, Tactical Zen is a guy I've had in class in the past. Uh, accomplished long-range shooter, has asked a lot of questions on sniper topics in the past. Um, and, uh, you know, this big shout-out to you, brother. I think that, that your, your head is absolutely in the right place uh, when you're talking about an asymmetric warfare fight. Um you know, snipers, there's two primary enablers out there, snipers and IEDs. And, um, you know, th that's a model that I've long advocated that, that is a smarter one for uh, partisans rather than uh, pretending that you're light infantry, that you're something that you're not. Uh, so, anyway, uh, this question is coming from him, Scout. The Ukraine war slash excursion provides great opportunities to show what's working and what is not. You already covered how the Russian military forces made some terrible mistakes in using easily trackable communications. Their phones, they failed OPSEC 101. Uh, so let me address this one real quick. Uh, the Russian military forces, yeah, they, they did have cell phone-based communications. Um, early on, a lot of their conscripts fell into the same trap that a lot of American forces would as well, uh, wanting to be the, the next uh, social media stars. And, and uh, there was a lot of footage that was coming out of guys that, you know, during the invasion, uh, they were making videos of themselves and dancing and laughing and, you know, doing, doing all the things, not having their war face on and getting killed. And that's, that's deadly serious stuff. Uh, and, and some of that footage was hitting some of the, the more unscrupulous corners of the internet that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not glorifying and I'm not a war porn kind of guy. So, um, you know, but some of those open source channels, I do monitor to stay abreast of, of what is going on because we have, we have to understand the developments in, in warfare and, and to be up to date and take in all sources, not just uh, the mainstream media, not just uh, Russian media either. We, we need to be taking in the raw data on the ground and we can, we can put together the pieces from there. Uh, but yeah, you using cell phones, OPSEC 101, of course, uh, cell phones never should have been on a battlefield. And there were some Russian commanders saying that, that they weren't, that's a lie. Uh, that's disinformation. They, they absolutely were. Um, there were phone calls that were being recorded. The uh, first Russian general that was killed, um, uh, the VDV commander, uh, VDV, which is the Russian Airborne, that commander, he, um, he, he, well, Moscow was notified of his death by phone. Uh, specifically by a cell phone. Now, there's tactical cell phone networks that can be stood up um, and enablers and everything that you can put out. But that kind of takes a back seat to conventional communications, more conventional communications when it comes to the use of radio and, and what have you. Um, cell phones are just bad for a huge number of reasons. I've covered this. Obviously, I cover this in class in depth in uh, the signals intelligence course. Um, I've talked about it in lessons from the farm, the, uh, the Podbean patron podcast series. I've written posts about it in the past talking about, you know, the, the targeting of cell phones and exactly how we do that because we do. And I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, I did podcast with Madman Actual who used to be a uh, national security agency agent and this is specifically what he did, was target cell phones. So uh, cell phone threat is very, very real. Um, and yeah, they, they failed OPSEC 101. Now, it's important to understand that our guys did too. And this isn't really a moral equivalence kind of thing, because again, I don't... I don't really have a side in all this. I think that the, the United States is making some appalling errors in judgment and strategic vision uh, here with Ukraine. And I, I think the Russians are, are making some rather shocking errors as well uh, at, at the tactical level. Not, again, revisiting the, the comments about don't underscore their competence. Do not underscore their skill on the battlefield, but they are 
Um, don't sell yourself short and speak from hubris on that, but they are making some rather baffling errors, um, from my estimation. But, uh, you know, it, that's most notably on our side, uh, the, the quote unquote foreign volunteers that were going over, uh, a lot of them in Mariupol have, uh, been killed or captured. There's a lot of pictures of, um, American passports that are showing up in Russian hands. And that's real folks. You, you can't deny that. As much as I don't like that and, and wish that that were not so, it is. And it's not propaganda. It Well, it, well, I, I, let me take that back. It is. Uh, it is propaganda, but it's being, it's enemy propaganda that's being utilized. It, it's not a lie. It's, it's true. Um, but the foreign volunteers, a lot of them wanted to be stars on Instagram, Reddit, so on and so forth. And, um. You know, that, that just was bad news. It ended up getting a lot of them killed and is continuing to get a lot of them killed. Uh, had any of them bothered to read uh, the what I consider to be the, the Bible of asymmetric warfare adventures in the third world uh, called My Jihad by Akil Collins? Um, it, it, you, you should absolutely go back and read that if, if you want to know what the Russians are going to be doing. Uh, that guy knew, he knew the deal, fighting in Chechnya, not once but twice, um, and losing a leg there, fighting against the Russians. It, that that book is a big eye-opener on when you travel to the third world to fight on your own accord, uh, you know, other people's wars, this is what you're going to be subjected to. So, um, a lot of... A lot of lessons in there, a lot of lessons in there, a lot of lessons that are being relearned, especially on a far more digital battlefield. You know, Akil was fighting back in the 90s, and, you know, here we are, um, you know, 25 years removed from that era. Uh, it, it's, it, it's really ugly, and the attack surface, you know, we keep talking about attack surface. You guys have probably heard me say attack surface many times now. Uh, your attack surface, how an adversary, uh, the, the avenues of approach an adversary has in attacking you, their attack surface is extremely broad. And um, it's a scary thing. Uh, it's a scary prospect. So uh, anyhow, you know, both sides have failed OPSEC 101, and, it, and it's all cell phone based. It's all cell phone based. Um, so question then, uh, what about how the Ukrainians are using asymmetric tactics and fighting to achieve outsized results. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say uh, the commanders on the ground, uh, both Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrop commanders, as well as the NATO uh, special forces, CIA ground branch, um, you know, the, that crowd, uh, those guys that are on the ground, they, again, Mariupol has fallen, um, and, and I expect several other cities to begin falling on the coast, uh, the coastline, get, heading towards Moldova. I, that That's the direction I expect it to go. Um, that's the reason that the, uh, the Moscova got hit, was because it was moving in a position to provide fire support, because that's what cruisers do. And um, anyhow... Um, do I think that they're utilizing asymmetric tactics? Not necessarily. Uh, asymmetric is something that, that we overuse. It's a buzzword. And um, we're, we're grossly overusing that. Uh, their, their use of anti-tank tactics has been very good. It's a step up and a uh, next generation evolution from what the Chechens pioneered in Grozny. Uh, so they definitely did their homework in that regard, and the Ukrop commanders as well as the American commanders, uh, somebody paid attention to that and and utilized that enabler on the battlefield to do that. Um, IEDs, uh, of course, the Javelin we know um, has been very, very effective, but uh, the RPG-23, the RPG-32, uh, which is a sort of similar to the, the Javelin. It's kind of an Eastern Bloc, Russian Com Bloc uh, equivalent to the Javelin. Uh, and of course, the 23 is the equivalent to the Law. 
um, the the light anti tank weapon. They've been utilizing these to great effect. Uh, so, but but I don't think that it's asymmetric. It, it's definitely a symmetric battlefield. Uh, killing the Russian commanders. Your your question goes on here. Killing the Russian commanders since they are apparently a top down organization with limited field NCOs able to reorganize and respond. Uh, this has been achieved by long range snipers or up close through different methods. Um, so one of the issues that the Russian army has perennially had is that that very rigid uh, top down structure. As any military historian will be able to tell you, one of the unique things about the American military experience is that we built a very strong non-commissioned officer corps beginning in World War II. Uh, World War I also, but World War II really is where it hit its, its stride, and it continued. And as any uh, former NCO or current NCO can tell you, myself included, we're the backbone of the military. Uh, we're the backbone of, of the fighting force. And uh, in the absence of orders, we're going to take charge. And we're going to carry out our mission. And, and our two duties are the accomplishment of our mission and responsibility to our men. And that, that of course, is true across the board of a non-commissioned officer from, you know, a, a corporal, an E4, all the way up to an E9 or, or a sergeant major or a master chief in, in the Navy. Um, you know, we, we take that responsibility. It, it is ingrained. The mark of an odd commission officer is that no one is more professional than I. And with, with foreign militaries, we see that that is often not the case. And in the Russian military, they had a, a severe problem with this in Chechnya. They had a severe problem with this in uh, Afghanistan predating Chechnya uh, in the waning days of the Soviet Union and uh, still is is seems to be the case now they're having issues with it as well and when you have a conscripted army a largely conscripted army you're always going to have disciplinary problems and this this is what's happened uh, this is what's happened here so um, you know it's certainly a thing it's certainly a thing but um the killing of the Russian commanders, the, the generals, uh, beginning with the, the VDV general, the Russian Airborne Division general, uh, and then, of course, several other commanders on the battlefield have been attacked. Uh, I, I'm going to approach this question by explaining a training technique that goes into the, the pipeline of training a sniper. Um Traditional sniper tactics employ what's known as target discernment. And we're trained to look for targets of critical importance on a battlefield. Um, now, if it's small unit to small unit, I would be looking for the first battlefield enabler that I can take out rather than a unit commander because uh, taking out the radio man, taking out the forward observer, maybe taking out the, the guy who's wearing a different uniform or maybe not a uniform. Uh, in the case of, of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq, the guys who weren't in uniform were our interpreters. And you take out an interpreter and now that unit doesn't have the ability to, to communicate uh, with the civilians on the battlefield. So, um, you know, I don't really think that's an issue in Ukraine for Russian forces because they they speak a common language, but uh, you, you you're doing what's known as target discernment. Now, a lot of the Ukrainian snipers that are on the ground, uh, they've got a lot of experience. Uh, the Azov Battalion guys and and some of the others, they've they've got a lot of experience in Donbass since 2014, and there's been a lot that's been published on that. Also, the Russians have made a lot of efforts to modernize their sniper capabilities on the battlefield as well. Uh, the Russian school of sniping, uh, the Russian methodology behind sniping, has relied uh, heavily on, on what we label to be a designated marksman's role. Uh, meaning you got a, a semi-automatic rifle that is inherent to a, a larger rifle squad. Uh, rather than a, a dedicated sniper uh, who's kind of, you know, acting 
of his own accord or, or doing a, a very specific type of mission. And so th there's a shift in focus um, away from the DMR kind of role. They, they're still utilizing it, but there's a shift in focus away from that and moving more to the... The, what we consider to be the, the uh, I hate to call it the Hollywood sniper, but kind of, um, you know, the, the more Carlos Hathcock kind of uh, way that we think about things. But I want to revisit this idea of target discernment. Um, if it's a big unit you're looking at and the Russians, the Russians do have a strong in their military, they do have a strong reverence for rank. And their commanders, to their credit, their commanders are out there on the front lines. And that's something that I can say uh, with the American military, um, you know, really above lieutenant colonel, you didn't really see a lot of field grade and then flag grade. Field grade being, uh, you know, lieutenant colonel and colonel, uh, flag grade, you know, uh, uh, brigadier general and up. You really didn't see those guys in the field that much. They just didn't. They, they stayed static, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I'm, I'm not faulting it. I'm not belittling any uh, any officers out there. I've, I've got a lot of uh, very good friends who are career military officers who, who achieved those ranks, and I've got a mountain of respect for them. It's just that our methodology is different. Our strategy is different. And the Russian commanders being on the ground are, are out there and putting themselves out there with their troops. That's not necessarily a good thing, okay? It, it's a good thing from a bravado standpoint of, you know, pound your chest, I'm out here, I'm unafraid. But they're having to learn the same lessons that we learned in Vietnam, that snipers, especially well-trained snipers, and ironically, those snipers of Viet Cong were ones that they had helped train, um, you know, they're, they're going to target commanders, and people's body language changes when they have a position of respect, when they know that the person they're addressing is superior to them. They're going to go to them. Maybe that guy is not carrying the same weapon as everybody else. Uh, frequently, leaders on the battlefield will uh, be the only guy with a, a spotless weapon because he doesn't use it very much. It's a, that, that's not knocking them again. It's just saying that they, they're not using it very much. Or maybe he only has a handgun. Or maybe he's made the mistake of, of wearing shoulder boards and, and uh, prominent rank insignia in the field. And we know that the Russian commanders do that. Um, he makes a mistake uh, like Lieutenant Dan in, in Forrest Gump of, of uh, getting saluted. And, and, you know, it, and there you go. And, and you've got a sniper ready in, the, in waiting to take advantage of that. Um, these aren't necessarily asymmetric warfare skills in a traditional sense, but rather this is something that all competent snipers are taught, and it's known as target discernment. Uh, so you're you're actively you got to remember that, and I've said this in the scout course many times that a designated marksman, a sniper, a, a rifleman on the ground, a competent rifleman, whatever you want to call him, right? But a guy with a rifle and an optic. And a brain is there to hunt men. Okay, he's hunting the most dangerous game. And and when you only got that one shot, you gotta make it count. And you're you're there to, to take out the 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 biggest jackpot prize you can, the, the biggest trophy you can on the battlefield. And if that's a commander, then then you've scored a, a big victory. And that's exactly what they have done here. Uh so you know, your question goes on to, to uh, talk about in Vietnam. Uh, the Kong, the Viet Cong were masters of booby traps, uh, sapping morale. And, and I already talked about that, that your two biggest enablers, whether it's asymmetric warfare fight or it, it's a, a situation where conventional forces have been overrun and you've got stay behinds. Uh, snipers in that role are your biggest force multiplier behind IEDs. It, it just is. Um, so, you know, if you find yourself in that situation, those are your biggest force multipliers to sap an occupation strength. Uh, fry the brain is a really good, 
Uh, John West's book is a really good reference on this where uh, he talks about it in depth. And of course, that, that's still in uh, current production. Uh, of course, Major John Plaster's book, which I think Major Plaster is, is just an incredible resource himself. I, I, uh, what, what a wonderful man, what a, a wonderful uh, source of knowledge. Um, his book, The Ultimate Sniper, is no longer in print. Uh, it went out when Paladin Press um, went out of business. But you can still find used copies. However much you find it for uh, on eBay or Abe's Books or, or wherever used copies, whatever you find it for, it's worth it. Uh, so definitely buy it. But Fry the Brain is, is really a, a great one uh, as well. Now, uh, wrapping up to the end of your question, uh, have Ukrainian fighters found modern ways to achieve uh, similar victories? How have the Ukrainians best caused devastation in the Russian ranks, the loss of morale? These actions are often via means other than bullets. Um. Well, you know, I, I think I just went into that. You know, we're, we're seeing a, a, a long-duration tactical pause. Uh, the, the strategic advance of the Russian strategy has ground to a halt. It's exposed a lot of shortcomings of, of the Russians on the ground and, and their operations, and it's made them look bad. Um, you know, they, they've spent a lot of money and time invested into modernizing their military capability and uh, to have failures on the ground. Now, America had plenty of failures too. And I, I contend that we're going to have worse failures in the next peer-to-peer -peer conflict. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, standards are sliding across the board and they're getting pretty bad. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think that's going to become a reality uh, sooner rather than later. But that being said, uh, yeah, th there's definitely been a loss of morale. I, I think the the uh, the the Russians' inability, uh, the VDV, their inability to hold the airport in Homestel, uh was huge, and that was a bigger blow to their. Um, that was a bigger blow, in, in my estimation, that was a bigger blow to their morale on the ground than anything else than than any of their losses than losing commanders i think that they went into battle in kind of typical russian mentality they went into battle assuming that they were going to lose a certain number of commanders and they're fine with that uh they're fine with that but uh you know them the vdv not being able to hold uh that airport that was a huge blow to their pride and um, their their uh, overestimation of their capabilities on the ground, it would essentially be the same for us if if the 82nd dropped in uh, back during the the invasion of Iraq. They they dropped in on Biop and uh, Baghdad International Airport and were unable to hold it. And the Iraqi forces, the uh, the Nebuchadnezzar uh, division, or um, uh, uh, any of the other elite units of the Republican Guard had had basically overrun them and pushed them out. That that would have been a, a huge devastating loss. And of course, I recall uh, uh, General Bernard Montgomery's uh, failed Market Garden assault, which was essentially the same thing: uh, an airborne assault in in a uh, dagger thrust type movement uh, to quickly penetrate the the German lines uh, with the Market Garden assault. And, and it was a colossal failure. Uh, it was a colossal failure. Uh, because airborne units, while they are great and offer a huge number of advantages on the ground, if they're unsupported, I mean, they're human at the end of the day. And, and you know, but the, the Russian airborne, the VDV, is, is their elite troops. This is their 82nd airborne. This is their, uh, their crack guys. And that really um, uh, caused them... A substantial loss in morale because you know they were saying well you know we've we just pushed out all, all our uh, conscripts and you know these guys aren't really professional military fighters just wait till the professionals show up well the vdv is your professional fighters and and this is what happened um now 
you know, you, we could go into it deeper than that, but I think that you get the gist of it. Uh, so I really wanted to address that because I think it was a, a great multi-layered, multi-pronged question uh, that is, it's really been on the minds of a lot of people. You know, when we talk news and analysis and, and uh, you know, kind of analyzing the headlines, it's, you know, tactics on the ground are something that, you know, we don't really cover and, and you're not really going to get from many other sources. And again, that's why you're listening to this podcast. Uh, one last question, and this is coming from another reader who shall remain uh, anonymous, but he's asked a few other questions to Radio Contra, and I've uh, uh, covered some of his stuff in the past. But um, anyway, he's wishing a happy Easter and uh, hope all is well for you and yours. I have a question for you, brother. I hope all is well with you and yours also. Uh, I've read that you spent considerable time tracking bad folks using electronic gear. I'm a complete knucklehead when it comes to these things, so please bear with me. Uh, you, you got my attention, brother, as well as everybody else in the Radio Contra audience. I'm thinking of picking up a Kestrel with the Applied Ballistics program with the Link, as long-range shooting is a sometimes hobby of mine, and I spent a good time doing it in my prior career. Well, hey, brother, you know, uh, good on you. It's a hobby of mine too. And I spent uh, a considerable amount of time doing it in a prior career. And now I teach people how to do it in a scout course. Um, but uh, anyway, it would seem to me that the use of any Bluetooth device in real time would be a complete no-no. The idea of having the program with the cell phone app for training sounds like a great tool. And the link feature could be turned off for actual field use with the cell phone left at home. I'm seeing a lot of good feedback on the device, but there are there are any of the guys actually doing the job using them that you're aware of. The other safer and cheaper option is to get the model without the link capability, but I don't think that you can get one of those with the applied ballistic software. Still researching that part. Can a cell phone without a SIM card still be pinged or tracked? Uh, well, I'm going to back up for that question. Let me address the first part of your question real quick. Um, so I'm not familiar with the Kestrel with the applied ballistics program. Uh, I've been a long-time advocate and user of Strelok in its freeware uh, variant. Um, big fan of Strelok. Strelok's a little dated now, and, and you have to kind of do your own work on Strelok. It's it's very... Um, uh, relies on you a lot. And, and Kestrel is, of course, uh, you know, a little bit more intuitive to use. It's kind of brought up to date a little bit. Um, Strelok's kind of dated. But um, the Applied Ballistics Program, um, what I will say is this, and, and you know this, if, if you've spent any amount of time doing this in, in a career, you got one gun, you got one load of ammo, you've got one bullet weight, you've got one powder, you've got one barrel, you've got one action you've got one optic you have one reticle right and you master it you memorize the data uh, you memorize the data and with a kestrel i mean you're getting wind readings from your position not the target's position and what we do with that is we're reading wind based on uh ground sign flags mirage grass movements, anything that's waving down by the target. Um, but you also want to look in between you and the target because wind channels in, in different places. Uh, if you're shooting across a, a ravine, there could be wind that, that's being channeled. Uh, you know, I'm going to have a, a scout course out here in Washington State um, you know, week after next. And where, where we train in, in the Cascades, you have a lot of wind that channels down there so it's um you know these are all issues that that you know uh i don't think a kestrel necessarily resolves i mean if you're doing something like an f-class shoot um sure but for for tactical level sniping uh you know 
I'm not so sure, uh, but you need to memorize the data on your weapon, uh, first and foremost, and kind of not rely so much on the electronics. Uh, don't rely so much on the electronics. The electronics are there for us to create a baseline uh, on a KD range or known distance range so that we know um, that our, our, uh, our subtensions are true, our holdovers, hold-unders, uh, hold-offs, so on and so forth. Those are, are true. Um, that, you know, when we dial in, that, you know, we're conducting box tests, that, that our, our data, our data on previous engagement or dope is accurate, right? That, that's what we're looking for. And so um, you could record all of that. And, and electronic enablers, do they help? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. But you already know this. You already, That's why you have it. Um, you already know this stuff. But as far as using it on the battlefield, you're never getting those perfect known distance shots. Um, so there's that. Uh, Bluetooth. Can Bluetooth be exploited from long distances? And the answer is yes. Uh, the answer is yes. Yes, it can. And um, it most often is exploited from aerial platforms. So if they've got a UAV or drone up or even a manned aircraft that's actively looking for Bluetooth signatures, can it be tracked? Yes. Now, if you're utilizing that from a place that's using a lot of Bluetooth, you know, you're, you're blending in, you're hiding in plain sight, uh, so caveat mTOR. But if you're uh, operating in a bombed-out area like, uh, you know, the front lines of, of, uh, the, uh, of eastern Ukraine, where uh, they're learning the hard way right now that you really need to be keeping your electronic signature to a minimum, uh, because Russian forces are, are utilizing indirect fire in uh, meaning artillery and uh, rockets and, and so on and so forth. They're utilizing them more aggressively now than they were at first. So uh, if you find yourself in that situation, you don't want to be utilizing uh, anything that could give your position away. Uh, so... On a flat range, KD range, known distance range, uh, that, that Bluetooth link stuff, yeah, absolutely. Um, whatever gives you an advantage in, in training, heck yeah, you know, use it. But when it comes to, to actual application and uh, battlefield implementation of it, I think I would be leaving it at home. Uh, that, that's just me. That's my personal choice. Now, having a Kestrel for wind reading to get an accurate wind reading, yeah, that, that's a must. But um, as far as having linking software and, and Bluetooth and uh, electronic enablers that increase my t attack surface and really uh, could become training crutches, which is a, a whole other conversation, uh, that, that could be very bad. Uh, so, we, you know, we don't want to be utilizing that. Um, so, second part of your question. Can a cell phone without a SIM card be pinged or tracked? Recently watched a video from S2 Underground where he was talking about an EC-130 being used domestically to track the recent trucker convoy. Uh, yeah. Um, in short, yes. Yep, 100%. Uh, the, the S2 Underground video in question, I think, was uh, a little bit alarmist because this, this kind of thing is actually happening all the time. As I discussed over on the forum, forum.brushfeeder.org, this kind of thing is happening all the time. Um, we're, you know, when I say we, I mean, the United States government, uh, in America is doing this kind of thing all the time. And you don't need an EC 130 or a C-130 with the electronics, uh, warfare suite loaded onto it, you don't need that size of an aircraft or that recognizability of an aircraft to do that. Uh, the, the NSA, uh, the Department of Justice, which also has signals intelligence and collection capability as well, um, they, they can operate out of a DC-10. They can operate a lot of this equipment out of a Cessna uh, as well as UA, uh, UAVs or, or drones. So um, 
As far as that video in particular uh, of them tracking an EC-130 flying over uh, the recent trucker convoy in D.C., I mean, yeah, they absolutely did it. It's not really um, in question. It's just the fact that this is going on all the time. Uh, they're doing this all the time. Now, you know, I'm of the opinion that they shouldn't be doing it. I'm of the opinion that it is Orwellian that they are doing it. But, yeah, they're doing it. And so to your, uh, the heart of your question, uh, just like with uh, Tactical Zen's question earlier regarding cell phones and, and OPSEC 101, uh, can a cell phone without a SIM card be tracked? Yeah, it absolutely can. Uh, take your SIM card out of your cell phone and see what you can still do with it, which is actually a lot. You can still call 911, and they're still going to be able to get your geolocation data. Uh, because as I've went into uh, in great lengths in the past, both in uh, written articles as well as doing podcasts and, and uh, lessons from the farm on, they are still giving out the, um, the, the identifier for the cell phone. So you've got one identifier on a SIM card, you have another one on a cell phone, both of them together allows the carrier to recognize that device as being able to be utilized on its network. But can it still be tracked by a third party? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, even if, let's say like you pull a SIM card out and um, you know it, it, your phone is on, or let's say your phone is off, but you didn't pull a battery out, it can still be remotely activated. It can still be cut on from afar. And there's electronic warfare packages out there that, that absolutely can do this. Uh, so, yeah, you know, in short, um, yeah, that capability exists. So, again, revisit uh, what I've written in the past about MP4 devices, setting up uh, Wi-Fi only devices to utilize uh, communications off grid. It's an alternative to utilizing cell phone networks. Uh, via Wi-Fi, because that limits your attack surface. That enables you to uh, hide in plain sight, so to speak. Um, you know, so it, it, this all goes into tradecraft too, and this is all stuff that, uh, unfortunately, guys over in Ukraine, um, our guys who who've went over to Ukraine, uh, foreign fighters, uh, domestic fighters here from the United States that have went over for you know various reasons. Whatever that may be, um, you know, ground branch guys, contractors, whoever else uh, that are all over there now. They're having to relearn these lessons. They're learning them the hard way. Because you got to remember, we've been at war for 20 some odd years. 20, 21 years. Ah, 20 years. With a unsophisticated adversary. With... Afghans who don't have a peer-on-peer uh, -peer concept of high technology. And so this has created and enabled all sorts of real bad habits, uh, including utilizing cell phones uh, on the battlefield by people who ought to know better because their very job is to exploit all of that. But yet, somehow or another, they think they're immune to the rules. And as we've seen already, that the, the Russian capability on the battlefield of electronic warfare is on par with that of the United States, possibly even exceeding it. Uh, but from what I've seen, it, it's it's on par with it. I wouldn't say that it exceeds it, and I would say in some cases that that their capability on the ground has has probably been. Uh, in, in the electronic warfare department, as well as uh, small unit and, and uh, fire and maneuver, has, has been overestimated. Um, of course, I, I think ours is a bit overestimated as well, but it's better to be safe rather than sorry. Uh, so with that said, folks, um, fielding a couple of questions, definitely stay frosty out there. Keep training. Look at the training calendar, brushbeater.org slash training calendar. The scout course in Washington State is completely full 
Okay, it's completely full. I've got the last couple of registrants in. Uh, right now, you'll be expecting an email from me. I'm going to have a bunch of emails going out. Uh, today, the last group of guys that I owe patches to at the $10 level for uh, Radio Contra's Lessons from the Farm, the Podbean, Pod, uh, or Podbean Patreon subscribers, rather. Uh, that was a mouthful uh, to get out. But I owe you guys patches. They're going to be coming out. So be on the lookout for those emails. And I'm going to be sending those patches out by the end of the week. Because I'm going to uh, require you to send me somewhere to mail them to uh, from your end. And uh, just respond to the email. Shoot me your mailing address. I'll get you hooked up. But I really, really appreciate that. Lessons from the farm. There is a new lesson up right now on license-free communications. That is at the $5 supporter level. So, uh, you know, don't be sending me emails. I already can tell there's going to be a few comments or whatever. I can't open it. I can't open Yeah, because you've got to be a subscriber. you got to be a subscriber. Uh, but the information is out there. And i got a lot more episodes that are going to be coming up this week. Going to be cranking out a lot of stuff and a lot of exciting things that are on tap. Of course, I also have spots left in the class uh, RTO, Advanced RTO and Signals Intelligence out in Washington State. Really looking forward to getting all of you out there. And of course, Michigan as well, coming up at the end of May. Got a lot of great things going on on this end training of course is taking the forefront of everything that we do because if you are not training you are not preparing you can be buying all the stuff and all the things and that's really good and well but without the underlying skill to utilize it it's not going to do you any good all right folks stay at it keep your head on a swivel keep it sane Keep it disciplined, and I will talk to you again very, very soon. This is NC Scout, out. Back, back, back.